Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. They called him the hammer. That was his nickname. He used to, you know, he used to put a lot of seats, people in the seats, apparently, because as soon as they dropped the puck, he'd just grab somebody and start feeding them, you know. And he was drunk on the ice a lot, is the stories I hear. You know, he'd put a 40 down before the game. They'd go out, drop the puck, and he'd just go toe-to-toe with somebody. And apparently he wasn't a very good fighter. He got beat a lot, but the crowd used to love it. You know the difference between hockey and those other sports? You gotta be tough to be a hockey player. I idolized Dominic Hasek. I played goalie because of Dominic Hasek. My life in hockey has been started because of Sabres hockey. I didn't need playoffs this year. I wanted it, but I didn't need it. But when you screw up for the fans as much as the team has over the last, like, five years, and just don't hold yourself accountable, I'm sorry. I'll hang up and listen. I'm sorry. Welcome to Two Goalies, One Mike, an in-depth look and behind-the-mask conversation about the greatest game on earth, where everything goes and nothing's off-limits. Now I'll tell you something about this guy. This is only three minutes, eh? Whammo! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 43 of Two Goalies, One Mike. A special episode for a couple reasons. Number one, it's the Marty Braun special, 43. And number two... Three goalies, one Mike, because we are pleased to be joined by current Long Island Goals 15U head coach or coach, world junior analyst uh, for NHL Network, uh, college hockey analyst for CBS Network uh, for the NCHC, and um, you know, a uh, uh, coach and I don't even know. I forgot the tutty you told me for USA Hockey, but you've killed it there. Uh, doing so much for the goalie program. Dave Starman. Dave, thanks for being here, man. I appreciate it. It's always good to talk goaltending. Oh, yeah, buddy. I, you know, um, I was, I know I was a little persistent there, Dave, on Twitter, but um, I've always been a fan of yours and your analysts, uh, not, not just on the, obviously, the uh, international, national uh, basis, but obviously from the college ranks as well. It's been a lot of fun. And just to get a, a fellow goalie on the show, too, is always uh, always fun as well. We've had a lot of former NHL and junior goalies on the show, from Marty Baran, Grant Fuhr, um, Olaf Kolzig, Byron Defoe, just to name a few. I'm not trying to pump our tires here, but it's always cool. When you say it out loud, Dwayne, we've had some really cool old like goalies that we've all grown up with, you know? Yeah, and you know, and you know what? Um, you know, following your stuff on Twitter, I ju- I just tweeted out your in-depth analysts of uh, it was like frame for frame breakdown of uh, how the U.S. scoring their goals. That was awesome. Because you don't see that, you don't see a lot that a lot from any of these analysts, man. Like how 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 in-depth that breakdown was, and how much I learned just from that short video of how the how the U.S. are scoring their goals. I mean, I mean, I watch and I've been following hockey my entire life. I've coached for the last decade. Um, obviously not to the level of you guys, but, you know, just being able to learn what I learned in this, that short video clip. And, you know, that was amazing. 
I appreciate that. The you know, the, I've always felt like we've got a pulpit where we can teach the game also, and whether or not we're teaching it on the ice to our players, whether or not we can use the on-air pulpit to teach. Of Pierre McGuire, I think does a great job with it. Eddie Olchek, I think does a great job with it. And you know, I listen to Ray Ferraro on TSN. I think he does a really nice job with it too. And John Davidson was kind of my mentor in that area. And you know, JD, another former goalie. I mean, he was great at teaching the game. And and all these people have a really good ability to talk to the wide mass of an audience that could be watching. So you've got the casual hockey fan that kind of understands a little bit of it, but, you know, isn't an X and O person to the coach that's watching because they want to pick up some more stuff about X's and O's. I've always felt that if you could talk at everybody or talk to everybody in your audience, not talk at them, over them, or underneath them, you're probably serving the viewing audience the best. And that's kind of what I try to do. And, and you do a great job of it. I've, you know, I've been casually listening to you over the years. Um, and, and I did a little bit of color commentary myself for, for the Windsor Spitfires on Kojiko. Um, and I really enjoyed it. Um, but you have a special gift, like you mentioned, to, there's a wide audience out there, like you mentioned, the coaches, or if it's just a, you know, a casual hockey fan, but your ability to break it down. Um, and I'll use the example of the video for the people that haven't seen it. It's a pretty recent tweet or retweet on your uh, page. Um, but your vernacular is, is appropriate. And for even for the, the people that might not understand what an RVH is, you go in depth enough to, to give us enough background. And, and I think it's fantastic because a, you know, a, key, a good color commentator play by play, play guy can really make a game, right? Even if it is a lopsided score. And, and we've seen that with some games in the world junior, you, you guys are able to make the game still entertaining, even if it might not be close on the ice. Uh, but, you know, one thing I'd be remiss if I didn't note is your work with USA hockey. We talked a tiny bit off the air, but for anybody that's coached or played, you've seen in the past, you know, I want to say 15 to 10 years, how much USA hockey has invested in the goaltending and how much it's paid off. And I think your role with that has been, has been instrumental. So just a couple of clicks for Dave, just for growing the game, growing the position here at two goalies, one Mike, we love to hear that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, the goaltending program, first of all, we, the ADM was just a stroke of genius. And, you know, even back 40 years ago, Louis Vero at USA hockey was tinkering at some ideas on how to create a better coaching program and how to create a better teaching development program i've got the a house because that was what usa hockey was before it was usa hockey it was the amateur hockey association in the united states and i've got their coaches guide from 1975 in my files i have no idea how it got there but it's there and it's kind of what louis drew up and it's when you read through it it is the precursor to what probably became the adm and the adm was doing great and the coach education program was doing a nice job and the one area that i thought that we we weren't doing well was was the goaltending area and, and it wasn't just my feeling it was a lot of us in goalie nation felt like we could be doing more and in the coaching education program we were doing a lot of presentations on goaltending and especially for the coaches that weren't goalies and what i began to realize the more we did this was we were trying to teach these coaches how to play goal not how to teach goalies there's a huge difference as you guys know huge difference. and got a good yeah all big difference so and it just that's where we made our mistakes so the coaching education body and all the coaches and chiefs of the 13 districts we got together to redesign the curriculum for how we are going to do our presentations on goaltending in the clinics. And that, we took that further off of a presentation that I had sent to Kevin Ryder, who is at the time the national team development program goalie coach. I said, hey, I think the best thing that we could do is divide the country up into three areas and have somebody cover each area. So let's say you've got the Atlantic to the 
to the Appalachians, then you've got the Appalachians to the Mississippi and then the Mississippi West or however you want to divide it. And we, we need a regional manager in each area and we need to get more into the grassroots of goaltending. And that will probably help us identify the goals we want to for the national program. Well, that morphed into more conversations. Long story short, about eight years ago, myself, uh, Mike McMillan was our national coach and chief goalie guy, Steve Carroll in Minnesota, Billy Sweetie in Ohio, and Kevin Ryder all got together in a hotel room for literally for two days. We just locked the door and drilled down. And after two days, we had redone the goaltending curriculum for the coaching education program and basically had laid the seeds for what is now the modern day ADM goaltender development program that Steve Thompson has taken over from Phil Ozaire. And that program to me is the biggest home run we've created. I, uh, I actually did a, um, you know, when I, years ago, years and years ago, when I got my level one, just when I first started out coaching the position after my playing days were done, <laughs> this is a funny story. We was uh, at UB, uh, University of Buffalo, the, 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 the eight hour clinic was, and they had the, go- the goalie guy uh, come up there just to talk about, you know, coaching the position and he has never played the position. He, he, he said, he admittedly said he was just kind of chosen because, you know, he was willing to volunteer to coach goalies. And he legitimately said, now this is when I was, I would say I was 20, 20, 20 or 21 years old. He legitimately said he put a bucket over his goalie's head and took shots on him. Like he openly (laughs) admitted this openly admit this to a classroom full of potential goalie coaches and I'm sitting back and the guy sitting next to me who's you know a tenured goalie too just I mean we both look at each other like did he really just say that did he really just say he put a bucket mm-hmm. on his goalie's head it's come <laughs> it's come a long way since then there's been some unorthodox ways of training oh my God. it's also come a long way too with the usage of white pucks you know how much we can do with video stuff with, with the head trajectory. And maybe that's what he was going for. Maybe teaching some, I, well, I've also seen Dwayne karate on a bucket, but they have these, uh, these things that go over your helmet. It's like a hood and it screens you, um, limited visibility, but uh, oh, wait, 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 let me, let me interrupt you on that. No visibility. With the white hoods. Wait a minute. Let me, let me interrupt you on the white hoods. This is a funny one. I'm doing a goalie coach, a goalie symposium in the South. And we were discussing some techniques and somebody said, and yeah, then every once in a while I like to get out there and I like to put my you know white hoods on the goalies. And I said, I, you know, in this area, that might not be the thing you might want to go for. I'm not sure that's the look you need. And we, we went with black hoods instead, <laughs> but it was just, climate. just, a, just kind of a funny moment. I just looked at the guy and said, Hey, listen, I'm a historian. I just, I don't think that's a great idea. Could you imagine, you know, being a parent watching your kid be like a hood or a bucket <laughs> on their goalie. And then your kid takes one in the jugular. I mean, sorry, I'm not a parent yet, but if I was, Cully is a parent. If you had a coach, um, if you had a coach do that and you saw your kid get hurt in that manner, I'm on the ice. I know, I know that I, I, I'm like, I'm like, like, what are you Dwayne's doing? Gloves like, are off. Dwayne oh, is really yeah, yeah. Like, what are you doing to my kid? Like, well, kind of after before it even starts. I, I yeah, have. The good I, news is we've come a long way. <laughs> I have a quick question, kind of you know, transitioning from that. Um, I think it was last night's game, but at, at a point. Um, you, you got into a conversation on the air about, um, you know, how parent coaching isn't necessarily always a bad thing. And I, I know it's gotten a bad rap and we've all played or, or coached at some point with a parent coach that might not have had the background of their skills and maybe played favorites. Um, so is your son or daughter on that Long Island golf team? My son is an 05 defenseman on that team. And I, I've been on the coaching staffs of some of the teams he's been on and some of the teams that he's been on. I've been actually coached elsewhere. And wasn't part of it. 
So what's that ready? been like? And, and for the listeners that weren't able to hear it, um, I, I thought you did a great job of explaining it. I, I've had a mix of both, you know, coming up. I've had some coaches that were parents that, you know, maybe weren't great, but I've also had some that were, were so good at separating themselves from that um, and, and really did a good job with, with coaching your son. And, that, and that's a pretty good team. I'm not sure. I'm not really familiar with the 05 group in Long Island, uh, but I am here in, in Western New York. Uh, what's that been like for you transitioning back to minor hockey and being able to coach your son and, and how rewarding has that been? And, and if it, what's that been like for you? It's, uh, you know, it's a double-edged sword at times. I'll tell you what, at the, at the might and squirt level, it was definitely easier. And, but the one, you know, before I even get into, into Ryan and, and coaching him, the, the one thing I, I would love to follow up on when it comes to parent coaches is this. I think there is a misnomer out there about parent coaches because there are a lot of coaches out there that were career coaches long before they were parents. And the fact that they are now coaching a team that their kid is on doesn't make them any less of the coach that they are. And right. this is where this gets a little skewy. Now, is it easier to be the coach of a team where your kid is the best player or the worst player on the team? Yes. When your kid's in the middle and fighting for ice time, can you get misconstrued as trying to find them more ice? Of course you can. But to me, the coaches that have been coaching 20 plus years or so before their kid was even born to say that they shouldn't be coaching their kid's team is the biggest bunch of nonsense because you know what? We need these coaches. If you took out all the parent coaches within USA hockey, you'd probably lose 25 to 30% of your coaching base. And we're all bitching about the fact that we don't have enough good coaches anyway. So right. my thing to people is shut up, you know, let, let the guy or girl coach that might have a kid on the team because more than likely they're pretty qualified. Now, the coaches who have a kid and the kid gets into hockey and they volunteer to help out, that falls under a different category. But you know what? You need those volunteers. You need them in a support role. You need them around because they're willing to put in the effort to help grow the game and, and to help make your players better, to help care for your child. So I, I really think that as a, as a hockey playing or as a hockey parenting group, everybody needs to just stuff it on this issue. Right? Yeah. It drives me crazy. But, you know, the, but getting back to Ryan, it, it – uh, being able to coach Ryan has been great because it's allowed us to bond in a special way over the game that we both love. And as he's gotten older, I've become more of an advisor than a coach. And he's a defenseman. I understand how to develop the modern defenseman. My track record of developing defensemen has been really, really good. I mean, I've got a good group best of them. Friend, right? Yep. Exactly. It's funny. I've developed more defensemen than goalies actually, which is somewhat embarrassing, but the, the, the fact that I've, I've been able to have success with the defense, I've studied the position a lot. I've worked with a lot of really good defensemen in terms of learning how to teach defensemen and, and getting into the nuances of it. And I consider myself pretty good at it. So for me to not lend my expertise to him as a young defenseman trying to come up and, and trying to develop him into what I consider the modern defenseman, I, you know, would be wrong. For, and, and I do it for all of our defensemen. I treat them all the same. He's not Ryan Starman, my son on the ice. He's just Ryan. And I don't address him by a nickname that I would call him around the house. I address him by his name. And I'll get into him as much as I'll get into the, the other defenseman. It creates a unique dynamic because you've got to balance that father, son, coach, player relationship. But I've been around this long enough to know what my kid is and what my kid isn't. And it's funny because when people ask me what kind of player is your kid, I have a tough time evaluating him because I'm probably too hard on him. Like I might be his worst advocate at times because I see every little wrinkle that I want to fix. But I, I just, it really bothers me when I hear parent coaches get crapped on by by everybody because of whether it be favoritism or whatever and i'm not saying it doesn't go on but you need the parents that have kids playing involved in your organizations because like i said you would lose a significant chunk 
of your coaching base if no parents are allowed to coach? Really quick, on that note, I think you hit it out of the park. Very awesome answer. But just an example, on Ryan's 14U Islanders team, you take away a parent coach like Garth Snow, right? Like that's, that's huge. And, and, and you're missing a lot of it. It's, you know, the parent coaches and even all the coaches in USA hockey, they're the unsung heroes. Dwayne has been a part of Hashik's heroes, this awesome initiative here where they don't get paid. If they do get paid, it's enough to cover their gas money to the rink. Yeah, and, and, and coaches like that deserve all the credit. I know for me personally, I was only able to get to where I was as a goalie because of some excellent coaches that took the extra time to understand it. And a few of those were parents. So I'm really happy that you brought that up. Really quick note. So looking back into it, um, back in 06, 07, you coached Apple Corps. So oh, yeah. I played, right? That was the year before I went to the, the OHL. I got lucky that summer. I made the Ivan Holinka team out of U17 um, with Seth Appert and John Cooper as our coaches. But that year I played 06, 07. I played in the Empire Junior B League. Um, for maximum out of Rochester, they don't exist anymore, but I always remember going to play Apple Corps in that rink. Um, you know, my buddy that I coach with Billy Solanjo, he coached there a few years ago before taking a D3 job at Manhattanville, but Apple Corps was always an awesome program. And the, I know the EJHL doesn't exist anymore, uh, but some really cool memories there. Uh, if you could just speak, speak quickly on, on what that was like coaching there and any memories you have at Apple Corps. Oh, coaching that Apple Corps junior program was outside of pro was the best experiences of my life. I mean, we had great teams. Uh, Henry Lazar ran the program and he was a master promoter and a master recruiter. And he always brought in a good hockey guy to be his assistant or associate head coach to kind of run practice and run the table there and, and handle a lot of the game planning and prepping and player development stuff. And, and he just kind of liked to run the bench during games with obviously with input, but I mean, we had a lot of good players. I mean, we put a lot of players into NCAA Division One. We put a lot of players into Major Junior. We put a lot of players in a pro hockey, whether it be Europe or North American. At one point, I remember sitting home watching a game. Pittsburgh was playing San Jose, and we had four Apple Corps alums in the game playing against each other. It was Ryan Vesey, Douglas Murray, Mark Eaton, and Rob Skidari were all in the game. Kyle Rank was a stud, too. I remember him. I think yeah. – a, a cup of coffee in, in the USHL, but I know I remember because I was following the OJ a lot then. He played for Markham. Uh, he was a stud. Did he end up playing Division One? I, I Kyle, I can't remember where he wound up playing. I, he, I think he played D3, but Maddie Lang wound up playing Division One. He came from us. He wound up going to RPI. He was an ECAC first, first team all star and wound up playing for Austria in the Olympics. That's so awesome. I, I mean, we have had some we've had some big time guys come out of our program. You know, Eric Nystrom came out of our program. Like I said, Ryan Bessie came out of our program. He was a good pro in Europe and had a cup of coffee in the NHL. Rob Scuderi has won a couple Stanley Cups. And he came out of our program. We, we've had some really good yeah. players that have come through. and uh, But that was great. And that old Eastern Junior League, it is a crime that they broke that league up. That was a good league. Self, that was a great league. And in, for whatever in, selfish in reasons happened. Man, with the USPHL, I've coached there in the Premier Division. And I'm not. we don't need to get into that. But they had a good model back then because Junior B, you know, it allowed some older guys to still play, but it was good enough hockey where it, you see the commitments and, and moving guys up like you see with 16U and 18U now, right? Like it was a different model back then. And it's really interesting how it's changed. Like I forego my 18U season to play there as a junior in high school. And I always tell people this, there's not one right way. When I talk to goalie parents, there's different paths for everybody. For me, it just happened to be, I stepped into junior B. I played really well. I, I got to the all-star game. I remember talking to Toby Harris for the Jersey Hitman. That's where I was yep. going to go. 
And I just so happened to, you know, to make select camp do really well. Seth Appert and John Cooper saw enough of me and my career took off from there. So I went right from junior B in the empire, which was the feeder league to the EJ right sure, to the yep. OHL. And I wasn't the only one on my team, Shane Prince, who, who had five or six years in the NHL uh, yep. with Ottawa and, and New York Islanders. He was on that team. And we had guys go from there to Bridgewater in the EJ to D1, D3. That was a great league. And it, you're right. It's criminal that it's not there anymore. Sorry, Dwayne. I had, to, I had to ask him about that. Oh, no, you're fine. And your, your, and your journey to the OHL, Cully, you know, not many not know it, it wasn't a normal one. You know, I wouldn't say you lucked into it as like you didn't deserve it, but you, you, it was just kind of like a right place, right time. Absolutely. Uh, scenario. And I always tell kids and Dave, tell me if you agree with this, you have to, you have to take care of your business. You have to be the best you can be and continue to develop. But like we all know, a lot of it comes down to being at the right place at the right time in front of the right coach at the right tournament. Right. But that none of that matters if you're not where you need to be um, and, and you need to get exposure. But I think it's a dangerous it becomes a slippery slope now because there's so many camps out there. Uh, we used to joke that some of these rookie camps for these junior teams pays for their stick budget for the year because they end yep. up getting 40 grand a year, like just from these camps. And, and, and listen, I'm not, I'm not here to judge. I just think that parents are in, and it's a tough road to navigate and something that, you know, luckily for Ryan, you have the experience of having gone through it. And Dwayne, you bring that up. I got extremely lucky. My older brother, Dave played, um, he played for Syracuse stars when they were in the OPJHL and ended up being uh, the backup uh, at Quinnipiac university behind Mike Fisher's brother, bud. And my dad learned from what going through with my older brother, who's eight years older than me as a goalie to kind of figure out what I needed to do, what was worth it, what wasn't. And that could be a very tough landscape to navigate for parents. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's an old saying that you don't know what you don't know. And folks that have walked the path and know the path and, and, and have some of the contacts and the ability to to make some introductions or or to get people to talk to the right people. I mean, those are those are important folks. And uh, the, the one thing that I've always said to, to parents is, you know, before you panic and before you make a rash decision, consult with somebody who's been there before. There's a million free agent camps out there. There's a million people that are dying to take your money and, and more than likely won't deliver on half of what they promise you. So uh, sometimes less is more. And we, we've got a saying in a scouting community that, you know, either we will find you or you'll find us. But if you're that good, somewhere along the path, we will all meet up together. Yeah. And so I always say to the kids, just focus on your development, focus on being in areas, especially if it's your area or, or you get a good couple of good camps during the summer, which are good development camps for you. Get to places where you can better your game, get to places where you can be in front of different eyeballs. But most importantly, find out what you need to make you better and don't necessarily worry about what everybody else is doing. Worry about what's good for you to do because more than likely that's going to get you where you want to go. Quick question on that before we move on as, as a goaltender. All right. And, and I try to, I tell the goalies that I work with, I'm not one of those goalie coaches that says, Hey, all you need is me. No, we don't not getting overcoached, but get in front of some different eyeballs. Right. And, and it, it's, it's healthy. I use the analogy of each goalie coach can give you tools to put in your toolbox. Right. And what I might be good at as a goalie coach, Bob Janos might be better at, at, at those other things. And the reason I bring that up, it, it's, it's tricky to find the right balance because a lot of these kids play hockey all year round, which is a topic for another day. But, you know, between you don't want to go into a summer and only do, you know, exposure camps or, or like uh, tryout camps. 
I think it's important for every goalie, if they can, to get at least one week-long camp in. I got lucky going to Mitch Korn. Uh, I know Dwayne did too. Benny Vanderklok was my goalie coach in, uh, in Niagara in the OHL. He's now with Nashville. He runs a great system. So to, to answer this for young goalies, what would be the ideal split between development, developing and going to those kind of camps versus, you know, getting your name out there for exposure? I know that's a tough one. I'm sorry. No, no, you're going to laugh when I tell you this. The, the number one thing that I tell just about every goalie starting when they're 10 years old is go play baseball. Yeah, because I, I, I there, there, is, there is such a dearth of goalies who can actually catch the puck that it's embarrassing. And the catch glove has, to me, almost become a detriment as opposed to becoming what I thought for myself was the greatest weapon that I had. And you don't see those goalies make great glove saves anymore because a lot of them just can't catch the puck. How many times do you see a puck hit a goalie's glove and drop off or they don't catch it clean? Not and a lot not, of it is, they're not tracking it. They're not tracking. That's number one. The gloves in a lousy position. You got your fingertips facing the the ceiling as opposed to facing yep. at the three o'clock position. I call it yeah, like the high hello versus three o'clock. And, yeah. and I, I, yeah, it's I and and the gloves are like bigger and clumsier and they're not leather, so they don't snap clothes like like ours. That I get that, but I can't tell you how many goalies I run into, Dave. They don't even have their. They can't even close their gloves. I, I just don't get it. it oh, the it, kids, it, the kids can't. I watch some of these kids at the World Juniors that can't catch the puck, and uh, to me. It's a problem. And you know, you guys, hey, well, I'll tell you this. You guys probably remember being at parties at kids when you were five, six, seven years old and you played party games. And, and there was always that game called the egg toss where yeah. two people stand five feet apart. And to catch the egg, you have to bring it back and cradle it. And goalies don't do that when they catch the puck anymore. I've seen more goalies moving their hand forward to try to catch pucks than moving their hand backward to try to catch a puck. And that's why I can't catch the damn thing because it's the same thing as a batter being in the batter's box. What do we tell the batters? Stand at the back of the batter's box. It gives you an half, half, extra half a second yep. to a second to see the ball. This would be like telling them to stand in front of the batter's box and in front of home plate to limit the amount of time that they've got to swing and make contact with the ball. It's, it's nonsense. And, and that's been my biggest pet peeve is, is the catch glove. So the number one thing is I would say to every goalie that's out there, find somebody who can hit you some ground balls during the day, go play catch, uh, glove on, glove off, whatever the case is, but learn how to track and catch an object that is coming at you properly. That's number one. And if young goalies start doing that, I'm telling you, their glove hand by the time they're 14 is going to be a whole lot better than what I see out of the 14-year-olds now. Dwayne, really quick before you go, just a quick – you remember Steve Miller, the old Denver coach, Dave? Sure. Oh, of course, yeah. On your point, I asked him because he was my coach for Select Camp and and Nate Schmidt, and I got lucky. Nate Schmidt and uh, Nick Letty were on my my team for the camp, so that's why I made the Halinka team. Um, But I asked him, Steve, because he was an assistant coach, Dwayne, and I had a great relationship with this guy. I asked him, what do you look for as a header assistant coach in goalies? And he said, Cully, the first thing I look at, and I'll cross them off the list if they can't. Can they catch a puck that's in their glove? And he hit it bang on. And on that note, you hit the, the nail on the head. Me and Dwayne have talked about this. One of my biggest uh, teaching moments with all my goalies is I see too many of them with their hands back. Our hands out in front for me, that was one of my ABCs, uh, white ice, hands in front, be a warrior. And if my hands were in front, a lot of other parts of my game kind of flowed with it. And it allowed me to track pucks correctly and, and not get, you know, turning off, off the play. But I'm sorry, Dwayne, go ahead. So whenever, you know, when, when, when behind the bench, I, I'm always the only coach that honestly is focusing on the other goalie. And I'm always looking for two things. Is he squaring up to the puck? 
And where's the glove? Is there double coverage? Is his glove out and open? You know, you know, it, 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 it's just, it's so baffling to me how many goalies and how many co- are, are just improper placement of the glove aren't, aren't squaring up to the, aren't squaring up to the puck rather than the, the player. It's just, and coaches never catch on to this stuff because I mean, we mentioned it earlier, there's been such a lack of focus on the position for the last few decades. So it, Dave, teeing, uh, building off what Dwayne said and kind of going into world juniors, I, Sanaya Sapergi, who's a, you know, a hockey reporter up in Canada. She was with the athletic. She, she covered major junior uh, when I was there. She gave me an awesome opportunity to write some articles for Yahoo sports, uh, their hockey. Um, and I wrote one, this was back in 2010. And the big question there was after Byzantine's collapse against Russia was how Canada couldn't produce goalies, right? This led up to the CHL goalie import ban, which, hey, I wish that would have happened three years earlier so I didn't have to go against Grubauer and some of these guys. But um, I wrote this article, and it's funny how it, it's still true today, and I think we could segue this into World Juniors because um, they still talk about it in Canada, with how they're, they're getting surpassed by the Finns and the Swedes. And, and what you've done, along with USA Hockey, other goalie minds, is, is help transform this. So, cause it doesn't start, you can't pick up these kids at 17 and make them great as a country. We have to start young and you see in, in European countries like Sweden and Finland, they proportionate to population size and how many total kids are playing hockey. They have a lot more professional goalies. Right. And, and my question is, is what have they done right? That's allowed them to develop such good goalie prospects. And I know the U S is, is, is really come a long way with your Spencer Knights and your Dustin Wolf's, um, and, and I, I, like I played with Jack Campbell in Windsor and he was great and he still is great, but what, what do we have to do as a country to catch them? And, and also like, what have they done well? Because we, we've seen some awesome goalie performances here in the world juniors and kind of segueing into that. I, well, I think we've caught them. And I think one of the reasons that we have is we have created a really good model starting with the younger kids. And we've also started the goalie du jour program at AU with these quick change goalie equipment that's out there now. Everybody at the might level can play goal. You literally can have five different kids play goal in a practice if you want, because it takes two minutes to get the equipment off one kid and on to the next kid because it goes over your equipment, hence the name quick change. So a lot of kids are getting a chance to play the position. So we're actually having more goalies play and we're getting more kids assimilated to it. That's number one. Number two is we're not treating 10-year-old goalies like they're 20-year-old goalies. Like The age-appropriate model of goaltender development has been a huge deal for us. Because now we're teaching kids like at 10 years old, instead of teaching them safe technique, we're just kind of teaching them how to get up and down. We're teaching them how to move around in their equipment. Right. right? So it's, it's not the biggest mistake we have made for years in our development program is trying to teach, trying to treat us an eight year old, like a 16 year old. It just doesn't work. You know, an eight year old is not half a, you know, an eight year old is not half a 16 year old. An eight year old is eight years old. And so the age appropriate mentality of teaching all of our players has helped. And I really think it has helped on the goaltending side for sure. So that, that's, that is a big part of it. The other thing is, I think we have really convinced a lot of the goalies to be multi-sport athletes. And the number one thing that I keep talking with other goalies that have gotten to the NCAA and gotten to the pro level is they all played something else as kids. And we Besides all grew up in baseball, different regions What other the sport do you think? I'm sorry. Oh, well, whether it be soccer, lacrosse, tennis, baseball, swimming, surfing, basketball, any of the racket sports. I mean, any sport that's an invasion sport, is a great sport for a goalie to play because it's constant interaction. Any sport where there is an object coming from off the ground and up at you where you've got to have depth perception. That's why tennis to me for goalies is probably the best sport you can play because it's constant lateral motion. It's constant tracking. It's constant angling. 
and 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 it's a great workout. I mean, it's a great leg workout. Cardio I was, you know, yep. yeah, I surfed as a kid. To me, surfing is a great activity for goalies because of your core strength. Your think about well, you got balance. You got the anticipation of the wave, so you've got some depth perception to figure out. You've got yeah, you've got to read what's in front of you. It's constant read and react once you get on the board and get going because you don't want to run anybody over, and nor do you want to hit a rock or you know, or, or something else. So there's a lot going on there. you got to make a lot of quick decisions when you're surfing. So that's a part of it. Swimming is a phenomenal sport for that's any hockey hard. player because it's full body. Exactly. You're using muscles you'd never use if you weren't swimming. So I, I think getting them off the ice and getting them into other activities has made our goalies that much better to the point that when they're 14, 15, 16, and really want to start specializing, their bodies are so much more ready to specialize than they would be if they just played one thing. I, I, you know, I was, uh, you know, piggybacking well said, on that. Well said, man. I was, I, you know, I, I started playing goalie because of the guy's jersey behind me, but um, also I played baseball. I was a catcher um, and I played the field too, but just that ability to track the, track the ball into your glove as a catcher, you have to, like, there's yep. no choice. You just can't like go like that or go like this. You have to track it in. And I think that's why my, not to pump my own tires, but my glove hand was the way it was. Um, Agreed. I, Absolutely. I I was a soccer player too. I was a goal. I was a, I was a, again, I was a goalie, you know, it's all about tracking the ball. You know, you bring your, you bring your head, head to the ball at all times, it, you know, and I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You have to play other sports to get better at, you know, this, at, at this sport. Um, you know, that was one of the things I did the, uh, the USA hockey. Uh, I, I don't believe you were there, but fellow Sayer was there. Jonathan DeCastro locally, Bob Janos was there. Um, we, 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 that was one of the points brought up. It was just a, for, just specifically for goal, for goalie coaches. Uh, this was a few years ago and, and um, that's one of the points they made is just don't limit yourself to just focusing on, on, on hockey and goaltending, play other sports, you know, get yourself involved with other sports, work different muscles because you're just going to find your, you find that there's so much more crossover between, you know, hockey and everything else. I'm glad to hear that you went to one of those goalie only things because that was my program when I was the goalie coaching chief of New York state. Like I helped create that us in Minnesota Minnesota were the first two States to do it. And Minnesota hit a home run with it and we cranked it too. And that has really developed guys like Bobby and Kevin Kreitzer and, you know, Phil coming in to help out. I got real busy, so I couldn't be around the state as much as I wanted to, but, but we ran the first one in New York state and we probably had, a hundred. And then we ran another one the following year. We probably had 150 and it was for goalie coaches. It was for coaches who yep. wanted to learn how to work with their goalies. That has been a, a huge home run for, oh, you for the coaching education program. I'm glad hockey. you went there. You see it all across youth hockey, the imprint, and you have your thumbprints all over that. Um, was an absolute wagon. He was such a beauty. Who's that? Yep. Phil Osair. He was such a oh, He's beauty. the best. He's who great. Was you remember, who was the guy with the last name Ayers? Was he a USA? Oh, that's Mike Ayers at Boston College. Mike is Wasn't he USA for a while? Guru. Oh, God, yeah. He was the goalie coach after Joe Exter and before oh, Joe Kevin Exter. Ryder. I remember Joe Exter. You guys would do that uh, program of excellence. I never got yep. it because I wasn't good enough. But I thought that was really cool. All right. Um, I, I Man, we could talk to you for hours. But I, I, I did want to pick your brain about the World Juniors. Um, yep. Dwayne, I, I know you have a couple good questions about that. Um, so I'll kind of just let, let you tee it up, but, uh, Dave, you've done a tremendous job with, with your commentary. Um, and one quick question I have before we get anybody specific, I feel like we are seeing, um, 
the overuse of the RVAs. Now, don't get me wrong. For, oh for those of you that aren't familiar with it, it's the post leg down where you're kind of leaning on it. And it's great for, you know, certain wraparound plays. But for me, I think, um, you know, once the puck gets outside of the dot, uh, dot lane, you know, obviously below the goal line, you know, I call that dead area, but like you saw the goal from uh, Zegris, I think it was against Sweden. Um, yep. Like for me, I'm teaching my guys, once that rebound goes into that corner, let's get to our feet. Uh, what are your thoughts on that really quick before Dwayne goes, goes off with the world junior guys? I think that the R the, the RVH has a place in the game as it's, Goaltending to me should be situational. It's a situational save where if you're going to go post to post and track a guy behind the net to stop a wraparound, I think it's much better than the way we used to do it by coming across standing up and leading with your stick. It's it, no question about it. It's a much better play. But once that puck starts to come above the goal line and get into those dead angles, you got to get up. And if you're not going to get up at the very least anchor and square, because there are way too many bad angle goals or bad ang or goals that are resulting on bad angle shots. Because the goalie in the net is in the RVH and his shoulders are facing the opposite net instead of facing the puck. And, and to me, that creates problems. off the ice, too, for that. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I find if you are teaching goalies to be down that early on pucks that far away from the net, just because that they are underneath the faceoff dots and in those dead angles, you are being really irresponsible with your goalies. I don't like it. That's my opinion only. I know some of us in USA Hockey Goalie Nation share it. Some don't. Joe Exer and I battle on this all the time. We're on opposite sides of it. Mike Gares and I are on the same side of it. But I respect Joe's point when he brings it up. I just don't like it. And I've seen way too many bad angle goals because of it. And that, that to me, is my issue with the RBH. As beautiful as Zegra's goal was, you know, you know, it's good for a quick highlight, you know, on Twitter, but that is 1000% on your goaltender. You know, there's no reason for you to be in your RVH in that position. And if you don't think coaches are telling players to shoot there now uh, from certain angles in certain situations, you're out of your mind because they absolutely are because they know that bad habit that's developed by goalies to use, to overuse it in the wrong situations. It's like the new far pad play. You know, instead of going far pad, let's look for that short side higher or, or just putting pucks in a dirty area. Um, yeah, great point. Let me ask you this, Dave. I know it's different use for all of us where we use it, but for me, the dead area for most goalies, if you draw a line from the back post straight through the bottom of the circle where the low circle hits into that area, you know, like a couple feet above the, uh, the goal line. But then yep. for me, it ends as soon as the puck gets outside of the dots. I think like we – we're, we're, we're putting ourselves in a, a, a bad spot because the one negative of the RVH is you don't have a push leg, right? And not everybody is built like Corpusalo or, or Rene that we can transition off of the RVH like they can built like Gumby, which is crazy. I've tried it. I almost pulled my groin and my hamstring. But um, is that an appropriate, you know, way of, of classifying the dead area? But like I said, I know it can differ for, for different goalies. For me, it's it's back post, straight line to the boards, equidistant between the bottom of the faceoff circle and the dot. That would be to be would be the dead area, and but it could it could vary, you know, a few feet this way and that way. the The biggest problem of a lot of goalie coaches now teaching the RVH to kids is here we go back with the age appropriate thing again. So Pekka Rinne is six foot three, right? How many thirteen and twelve year old kids do you know that are six foot three? I mean, there's less not a than, lot of them. Less than five percent. Right. So where, like you mentioned Garth Snow before, where Garth and I are really different on teaching goalies was Garth was teaching a big man's game to goalies that are five foot nine. It, just, it doesn't knows. work. It's His philosophy knows. was right because he's six foot two, but the application of who he was teaching it to, I never felt was, 
was right. And that's where we disagreed. If you're going to, if you got a kid that's in there, that's five, nine, you got to treat him like a five, nine goal. You want to put some building blocks in. That's one thing, but you want to give the kid every competitive chance to stop every shot that's coming at them. And then being down, hugging the post and low and giving up the entire top half of the net. It's not the way he's going to keep his goal or she's going to keep their goals against down. So once again, back to situational, if you can put the building blocks in of teaching goalies how to be up on their feet and face some shots from that position where they're squared. And then if they have to drop into a butterfly or if some kids are still using a half butterfly, good for them. But if, if you can teach it that way, much better than trying to teach a five foot eight kid how to play like they're six foot three, there is time for that. And it's not when they're 12 or 13. Well said transitioning to the world juniors. I think we've been treated to some excellent, excellent goaltending. You love to see, I know Dwayne, I wanted to bring up the Austrian goalie, oh uh, but for God. me, for me, I really wanted to see more out of Askarov being a high pick. I know there's been a lot of chatter about taking goalies in the first round. You see one with Spencer Knight, really happy to see him bounce back after a rough start in the Russian game. Um, I really also like Dustin Wolf and it goes back to your point about Gar Snow as a five ten goalie. I identify, I know Wolfie's six foot on paper. I mean, that's why I would wear eight pairs of socks when central scouting would come to measure me. But Wolfie is, is so good at, at getting through the crease on his feet, reading the play. And I think his younger goal or smaller goalies. And, and one of the big things I'm working on with the young guys is reading the play. So just overall looking at the goalie pool. Um, I know Dwayne, Dwayne, did you have a specific you want to ask him about? No, just, just again, we, we already touched on the overuse of the RVH that, that, you know, we've already done that, but just some of these goalies, especially these European goalies that have been really stood out, you know, you're on, you're on underdog teams. And as a goalie, if I'm in their shoes, like I kind of thrive on this because now you're really, all, I think we all want more shots, right? I think we can agree on that. Balance. The Austrian goalie, Sebastian, I, I'm sorry. The, the pronounce, pronounce, I think it's, I think it's Wannerschnitz. I didn't want to butcher his name, so I'll let you do it, Dave. Um, but you know, I, uh, you know, just, uh, and there's like 133 saves in two games, like out of anything from team Austria, I know Marco, Ro I know Marco Rossi's on that roster, but if anything that stood out to me was him was Reschner Schnitz or whatever. Um, yeah, his, his, his ability just to stand out and really showcase ability. And he was only six foot. He's a smaller guy. He's not big, you know, and that for me being five eleven, like, I was like, hell yeah, let's go kid. Let's go. His competitive yeah, level was through the right. roof. He was great. You know, Sean Burke, I work with Sean, uh, the oh, scouting staff. And Sean always said that playing for St. Mike's when he was in junior was the best thing that ever happened. Cause the team stunk. He got, like 50 shots a game and even though they lost a lot of games and his numbers weren't good scouts got to see how well he played and how well he stopped the puck and, and got to see him in all kinds of situations and it accelerated his development like i'm all for it if i was a goalie on a really average to bad team i'd be the happiest guy in the world and that's you know my i was thrilled for for that kid from austria who who was under fire and we've seen that a lot in the world juniors there have been a lot of teams that have showed up that have just not been depth or deep enough to compete with the big boys so their goalies wind up becoming the stars and you know i think of the Godala kid a few years back and and the Remember show on, back in 09 oh, well the, the, the money he cost me by upsetting the u.s in a 2009 tournament and eliminating two extra games that i'll never forget that kid the rest of my life and then oh, that was unbelievable peter Mrazik the year after yep. i had a i had some beef with Mrazik. i have a great story i'll tell off the air uh he called me a face monkey in czech language so like <laughs> Um, I went at it with him, but man, that performance that he had was special. And you're right. Was 2012 I, at Edmonton. Yep. Yeah. We've seen some really cool performances over the years. 
And I think everybody, even like what I love about the Canadian fans, I, I forget which one it was, but Canadians were beaten up on a team a, a couple of years ago when there was fans in the stands, but they were chanting for the goalie they were playing against because he was doing so great. That, that was the goal to kid. Yeah. You remember that was yep. so cool. Oh, I love that. Um, so the one guy I wanted to ask you about is, well, two guys, um, the Canadian guy, Devin Levi, because right. really happy to see a guy that had success in the CCHL. I've always been a big fan of that league since my time in Kingston. I got to go see Brockville and all those guys. I think it flies under the radar, but he, you know, he's at Northeastern now playing. We, we just mentioned how, how it's easier to play in front of a lot of shots, but when you're on team Canada, you don't get that luxury. And I've been trying to watch what he does in between whistles. And he, he's very, you know, he goes get every whistle. He puts a stick between his blocker pad. He gets a drink. And, and that consistency, I think, can be a lesson to every goalie is finding a way to be consistent with our mental approach. Um, so between him and Spencer Knight, um, you know, what are, what are things that you've seen in your opinions on the two? I haven't seen a ton of Levi, but the one thing I've noticed about him is his athleticism. Like he yeah. spurs up well. He's a really good athlete, and and I think he uses his extremities pretty well. He's got quick feet. He's got quick hands, and he and he keeps keeps pucks in front of him. With Spencer Knight, the thing I, I like about Knight is his economy of movement. He, he hits his marks very well. He no doesn't panic. Yeah, he's he's not That's scrambling well. around trying to find pucks. He's generally got a really good idea where the Definitely puck is in no. front of him. He plays confident. He plays a really good depth. He, he understands where he is in the crease as opposed to where the puck is in play. And, and I, you know, as Mike Ayers has said to me on a number of occasions, he's a kid who is constantly thinking about how much energy he needs to make the next save so that he can get himself into the right place to make it. And That's I, yeah, I love, I, I just find him to be a student of the game. And I, I think he's a bright goalie. Like I just think he really understands both the mechanics and the dynamics of the position. Now, how will that transition into his pro game, right? He's obviously stuck. Dwayne's brought it up quite a bit uh, about Bobrovsky's contract. Uh, but you'd like to think if, if Knight's ready sooner rather than later, they'll get him in there. But how often have we seen teams mismanage goaltending development? Like we develop at a later age usually. Not everybody's a Carter Hart, right? So um, it'll be interesting to see how Florida p plays that. Um, but, you know, I'd love to see him have success. Um, he's just, like you said, there's no wasted movement. One thing that I really appreciate, and I know we haven't seen it a ton in this tournament, but I remember watching him with the U18s and stuff. He, he's so, and you touched on it, his ability to read the play. And it's kind of like his, his peripheral, his ability to read his peripherals and, and, and putting himself in a good spot for that second, third, fourth save. Really cool for me to watch. Yeah. He's just, he, and he's got a good stick. Like it's just a lot of goalies and, today i noticed their sticks can get a little sloppy it can be dragging behind them now it's funny because one guy that always survived i thought with a sloppy stick was mike richter like his stick was was, yeah, well, was constantly behind him but like he got away with it because his, his legs were so quick and, and they played so that strong. half butterfly style too right like we don't see right. the one the up thing anymore right but he was kind of like remember if you, if you go back and you watch richter when he was pushing from his going from his stick side to his glove side his stick tended to be behind him a lot and then he would bring it over later which was uncommon for for a lot of goalies of that era uh, with Spencer Knight, he is really good at getting a stick to lead him across, and he's excellent at managing paddle down versus blade down. You never really see his stick on its heel, which I think is a sign of a goaltender whose mechanics are really good. Really quick question, um, mechanically. I always, like hands in front, I like to teach the younger goalies like the triangle from your chin to your hands, how that should move together and all of our movements. And, but I also say our stick 
to me is our most important piece of equipment with, with younger kids because, and I do it to start every drill. After our hand tracking, we do a stick drill, uh, just putting pucks into the corner or up in the mesh. And I feel like that's been an area of huge concern with a lot of goalies, even you know some really talented goalies that they might not have a strong stick, but it can save us proper use of a stick, 15, 20 goals a year, you know, coming down, whether it be a far pad play or what. Um, so I'm really happy you mentioned that. Um, one, one guy I wanted to bring up too is Ascroft. Me and Dwayne have talked a lot about him. He has the, the lefty, you know, approach, uh, you know, he's, he's Southpaw. Um, and I, you know what, somebody asked me the other day, Dwayne, do you remember somebody asked um, if that messes with the shooter? And, and I didn't really have an answer. I just curious. I, what you guys as, 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 as an, as a normal goalie who catches with his left hand, <laughs> I, uh, it's, that's a tough answer. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how that could, me- I mean, I, I assume, I guess it messes with the shooter. Well, as um, a righty, if a righty comes down and across where he usually has that nice across the grain, low blocker yeah. shot, a foot off the ice. Now that's a nice, easy glove save for Askarov. Just Dave, what are your thoughts on his game? He obviously has a different style. He's very athletic, but it seems to work for him. Um, I worry about that sometimes, like I did with my own game, that sometimes we tend to overuse our athleticism when we don't need to, when an easy save can prevail. And I think I saw that with Jack Campbell playing with him. He was so athletic that it, it almost got him in trouble too much. What do you see from him and what's his ceiling? Can he be a legitimate NHL starter in years to come? I think he can. I think his path tracks along the same line as Jimmy Howard because Jimmy Howard was the same way as a kid. He didn't get as low, but Jimmy Howard was a big man. He used to get nice and low and, and play shots that way. And then he got to Maine, stood up a little bit more. And then he got to the pro level and, and, and Jimmy Bedard got him squared away into becoming a little bit more situational and, and being able to use his frame and his size better. So I, I see that as a as a common denominator. I, I think for Askarov, for him, it's going to be a matter of of taking that big six foot four frame and using it a little bit more efficiently. He's athletic as hell. He's got great reflexes and he's got great flexibility. And I think what what will happen with him at the next level is whoever gets him is going to work on him with being a little bit more technically sound, so that he's not exhausted after playing sixty games a year with all the excess movement that he's doing right now. So he's in Nashville with Benny Vanderklok. He's like I said, I have a history with him and Benny's a genius when it comes to that. So I'll be happy to see that. Go ahead, Dwayne. Sorry. Now, uh, just, you know, going back uh, a a few minutes ago with Levi and Spencer Knight, you know, Levi is also a uh, Florida Panthers prospect too. So do you think that Levi, you know, cause I, I, he, obviously it's a little bit easier to play with a little bit more swagger when you have a team as strong as Canada in front of you, because you know, you know, I'm not saying you can afford to make mistakes, yeah, but, but there's also that pressure too, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, obviously you have the whole, the pressure of be, be, being the starting goalie for team Canada, but you also, you have a, an offensive team as strong as Canada, who, if you do make a mistake, they're going to, they're going to make up for it. But having said that, knowing that Spencer Knight is the first round pick and that you were the seventh, do you think that for him, that kind of lights a fire under his ass? Like, Hey man, I I'm in that organization too. You know, I'm playing just as well in this tournament, if not better, you know, why isn't it? Why, why, why aren't people talking about me? I think it'll have no bearing on him if the U S and Canada play in the gold medal game, but I do think it'll have a bearing on him once they get to training camp. Like that, that becomes sure. a different story. I, I think that, when if the U.S. winds up playing Canada for the gold medal, the only thing Levi's thinking about is is how much he'd like to win a gold medal. I don't think oh, yeah. he's going to think about the other guy. I mean, like All it's about the next save, baby. Yeah, it's about that exactly right. But I, you know, there is a a misnomer that if you get picked lower in the draft, that you have no chance to make it. I mean, don't forget, Caden Primo was a seventh round pick also, and Caden Primo is going to be number one in the NHL. Oh, you know, he's he's a star, he's a and he will be a number one goal in the NHL, and he'll be in that same spot. He'll he'll have to play behind 
Price no. and for a little while, Jake Allen. But, you know, when his time comes, whether it be in Montreal or elsewhere, uh, he, he will get an opportunity to prove his mettle. And, and the, you know, with these two kids both being Florida picks, uh, Florida's got some depth in their goaltending right now, especially at the younger levels. And the one great lesson I've learned from being in hockey ops and scouting at the NHL level is you don't fall in love with the person, you fall in love with the asset. And right now, Florida's got two of them. And yep. those two guys, one of whom could be a trade chip to bring in a player to fill a different hole. Exactly. Wow, Dwayne, that could solve the whole Bobrovsky thing, right? Like, I, I always love when you brought that up. I thought it was really interesting. I, I, uh, and another thing, too, is in Buffalo, we have a decent crop of goalies here in Buffalo, too, between uh, Uka Pekalukinen and uh, Eric Portillo, who's currently over at, uh, in Mich- with Michigan, uh, learning under Steve Shields, another former Sabres goaltender. Uh, just <laughs> your quick thoughts on that as far as what Buffalo has and, you know, in the barn right now between UPL and uh, Eric Portillo. Yeah. Have you, seen, have you got a chance to watch them at all? I've seen UPL before and I really liked him. Like I, I thought he was pretty special, but I haven't seen him in a couple of years. The kid at Michigan, I haven't seen yet. Yeah. He's a young, he's, he's young. He, uh, he, this is a freshman year over at Michigan, but there's so, a lot of, a lot of good chatter about him. So transitioning from that, Dave, I um, loved your work in the NCHC bubble. I thought that was so cool. You, you knocked it out of the park. I miss college hockey. And for me, like when I'm hearing these different teams postpone their stuff, it was heartbreaking for me. And I know it is for the players. Like you see these compassionate pleas from the kids at RPI uh, and how they just, you know, they've done everything right. They want to play. So for the NCHC, couple clicks for them by getting the boys together. They were innovative and the success they had in the bubble was tremendous, but also the stamina on your pipes, man, to get through those games was incredible. You really brought it and you were consistent. You were good. Um, and we saw some really good games. I, I, I might be missing out. I think there was a, a Denver uh, UMD game or, or a couple really good hockey games that you called. Um, just take us through for the fans that don't know what that was like and, and, and you know, how it, like what happened in that bubble, how, how it operated. It, it was, first of all, you know, stick taps to the NCHC, Josh Fenton, the commissioner, and all the, the faculty, the FARs, the athletic directors, everybody all put that together, the member clubs, and, and especially the student athletes who behave. I mean, they took the protocols to the letter of the law, and they all did what they had to do to make sure that they could play. They get a lot of credit, and I sometimes think that the student athletes don't get enough credit for, for abiding by the rules because, you know, quite a few in other sports haven't. But once we all got to Omaha, it was, it was pretty routine. Like you went hotel rink, hotel rink. Everybody stayed within their designated areas. How many hotels? Oh, uh, let's see. We were in with North Dakota. So TV production, in North Dakota were in one hotel, the league, Miami, Denver, and one other team. I can't remember which were in another hotel. And then there were two others where you had the remaining teams left over, whether it be the courtyard of the residence in which you're right next to each other. And everybody hey, was really walking. Quick, that's right. about the, that brings us back to the minor hockey days when you'd see the other teams in the hotel and you cross wear yeah. your team jackets. That has, that might've been cool. Sorry. Keep that going. was the coolest part about it was it felt like I said to people, I said, this feels like a combination of silver sticks and the world juniors Yeah, is exactly what it was. I mean, it was, you know, you're, you, you know, one game playing and the other two teams are there warming up and they're sitting around the glass watching the games and they're in the stands and you got two or three teams at the same hotel and they're constantly crossing paths. And it was, it was really cool. It was like oh, a small cool. little self-contained community and, and the games are really good. The kids couldn't wait to play. And, and, you know, the teams are playing more of a pro schedule than a college schedule. So everybody's out of their comfort zone. So almost everybody was in the, in the same boat when it came to the competitive challenges that they were facing. And, 
teams are moving locker rooms like crazy. I mean, they had a gut a pro shop at the rink to put one team in the pro shop. I think Western Michigan was in the pro shop for three days at their <laughs> locker room. The equipment managers were helping each other out, moving laundry around and moving equipment around. And, you know, one game, uh, one of the teams was in a locker room where the goalies were in one room, the defense were in another room, and the forwards were in a third room across the hall. So uh, good luck on that team meeting. And you know what? Nobody complained. Nobody said That's awesome. I and that's it. why that worked. Man, and, and it was really good hockey. Um, and like you talk about, I think sometimes, like at least for me, when I got to the OHL, you, you miss certain things and, and you get reminded of them maybe now as a coach, but like, just like you talked about having to go from, from rink uh, room to room or going to a hotel or sorry, going to a, a rink and the locker room to fit everybody in is tiny, right? Everybody's on top of each other. Those things, although they were inconvenient at the time are some of my favorite memories. Right. And Absolutely. it went off without a hitch. I don't think there was any positive tests. I know None. Colorado college got there late, right. Because yep. of some, but yeah, they, did. they had one positive test two weeks before. So they did their quarantine. Then they came in, we redid the schedule. CC only played eight games and not 10. And when they got there, they were given three or four days to practice so that their lungs didn't explode day one. So before I know Dwayne, before we segue, um, just for me, I, I, I'm, I love watching college hockey as much as I can. I think that the gap between the major junior CHL versus the USHL college route is closing, if not already closed. Um, I, I've been really impressed with Minnesota, the loose game. Um, but I also, you know, North Dakota looked good and, and, and at times so did Denver. I think Matt Carl's did a really good job there. Um, and it's, I know it's tough because a lot of other leagues are, are, are behind. They haven't got going. That's why I think this was so cool because they get, you know, these 10 games in who out of that conference do you like? I know it's early, but from what you saw, who do you like coming out of there? If there is a frozen four this year? Oh, I can make a case for five teams right now. That's awesome. I, can make a, I can make a case for North Dakota with their depth and their start quality. I think they are in great shape. Uh, Minnesota Duluth has got a really good core of players. They got a lot of speed. They they found a young goalie in Ryan Fanti who looks like he's going to be able to to give them the stability and goal that Hunter Shepard did. So you got that component going for you. I can make a case for Shepard's Denver. Good man. Yeah, yeah. And Denver has been a good team, and they're you know a lot of people say you are what your record is. They've struggled a bit, but there's a lot of skill there, and I think Denver is a team that will be a force to be reckoned with as they move along. You know, then you have. Then you have Omaha, like Omaha right now, as I said in the pod, Omaha is built to play with the big boys. They're a big team. They're heavy. They're physical. They're quick. They've got depth in their lineup. Got four... Yeah. yeah they got a couple of good goalies, both of them, Seville and, and Roden both can play. I and, like Seville a lot. Yeah. And they're well coached and they're really good down the middle. And they've got a couple of defensemen that, that can really move a puck. Well, so I, you know, does Omaha have the start quality and the depth that North Dakota does? No, but are they built to play against them? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before I teed up for Dwayne, you look at that conference and I know there's been a shift from when we grew up, right? There was no NCH. I think it was the WCHA, right? And all that. Um, imagine this Denver, like you said, the record isn't great, but you come into the bubble. Here's how you start. You got Minnesota Duluth, North Dakota, St. Cloud state back from Minnesota or back to North Dakota. Like that's big boy hockey. And, um, you know what, they had an impressive win, you know, against Colorado college to end on a good note. Um, but you know, transitioning over, wait, one last question on that. Is there any more games scheduled? When can our fans hear you with that? Uh, for the NCHC CBS sports network just announced its schedule. So we just did a game there. That's funny. I just did a game new year's night, uh, squeezed in between the two world junior games. So that got us started. We're in year 18 of that 
package of, of CBS Sports Network doing college hockey. And our next game is January 8th. It is St. Cloud State and Minnesota Duluth. Then the following weekend, we have games Friday night and Saturday night, though I'd be lying if I told you who it was. <laughs> it's all good, brother. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. My wife is on our crew. She's telling me. Who do we have? Hold on. Oh, she, oh she, he's, teeing, he's teeing me up right now. Oh, I love Friday it. Friday night, North Dakota, Denver, and Saturday. Oh, and Saturday, we don't wait, know. Well, then, she's there. I know Dwayne had a question about uh, her. So, uh, well, before before we before we get into that, I just want to get a couple of clicks for, uh, obviously, you're a UMass, UMass dad. Couple clicks for goalie Matt Murray, fifty career wins, yeah. tied for the league, uh, tied for the for the most victories in the uh, in the program history. Couple can clicks. he be the best Matt Murray? Maybe be the best <laughs> Matt Murray, exactly. But but you know you know I was, when I was going up and down your timeline here, I didn't realize that you you just you just you just did the segue for me, Dave. Is that your wife? Uh, is it Shireen? Yes. She is a ringside reporter for CBS, and I don't know if she chirped you or not, but uh, caught one of your screw ups. Uh, you know, <laughs> caught one. She caught one of your screw ups, and you tweeted. Did she make you apologize via social media? Oh, this is great! So I make that <laughs> announcement, and within about two minutes, I got a text from her because she's home watching the game, and she says, "Hey, what happened to BU? You said four, not five. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, gotcha." Hey, Listen, she is a huge reason for the success that I have had. I mean, there is, I will say this about her. There is a dying art in the broadcast world of people who know how to properly do an interview and people who know how to tell a story. And it, and like I said, it is a lost art. And she's got three Emmys covering college hockey because of that skill. And what she brings to our crew from that perspective on CBS is outrageous. And, and she makes us better because of the amount of research and and, and the way to pull information out of players and out of coaches and how to ask a question once or twice to, to make sure that we get the information that we want or, or to ask them the question in a better way. So, and there she is in the background. Thanks, oh, you're welcome. And, uh, <laughs> hey, we're big fans. And, Love what you do. That's awesome, man. That's great. <laughs> hey, oh, is that how you guys met by any chance? Is it, is it you know, is that how you guys met through ho the hockey circle, her reporting? Uh, and Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. I, my first year, at, uh, we were still CSTV. I was, and I was in my first marriage at the time. And, and I'm watching a game because we're doing Michigan that weekend. And I'm watching a game that Michigan had played the previous week on Fox Sports Detroit. And as I'm watching the game, I watched through it and I called up our producer and I said, hey, listen, I know we don't have the budget right now for a ringside reporter. But if we ever get to that, I found one. And he said, who? And I said, Shereen Sasky from Fox Sports Detroit. I said, it is obvious that this is a different level of ringside. This is not somebody who they're giving her questions and she's just asking because she looks good on TV. I said, first of all, she does. But second of all, she's doing her research. I said, there is no doubt in my mind that she's not dialed into what's going on here. And then, and it died right there. Then about eight years later, I had, my first wife and I had recently separated and I was at the CCHA officials training camp, the ever romantic backdrop uh, to meet your future <laughs> wife. And, and she was covering for Fox sports Detroit. And I was there because I had been killing the CCHA refs and, and I said to the commissioner, let me come to camp. I said, let me get on the same page as these guys because I need to see the game through their eyes and it's going to make me a better analyst. And so we were there for a couple of days and I saw her in the hallway and, you know, colleague to colleague, I just went up to introduce myself. I said, hi, uh, I'm Dave Starman. And she looked at me like, you know, okay, so what? And she had no idea who I was. Who are you? Get out of here. No idea who I was. And, and, but we, you know, we chatted a little bit and we kind of developed a friendship and, you know, one thing led to the other and our first date, was in 2008. It was on Valentine's Day, 2008. I was in to do a game uh, between Lake State and Michigan. And our first date, we went makeup shopping for me 
because CBS had just bought CSTV and, and uh, Human Resources had called me and said, high def was not my friend and I needed to buy some makeup. That's fair. So that's how we started. I love it, yep. man. That's so cool, man. Good for you guys. That's so cool. Any, <laughs> any good scouting stories uh, before we let you go? For your yeah, time? I was surprised to see that. Me and Dwayne talked about it. You scouted for a good 20 years. Dwayne's the one that caught that. A couple clicks for Dwayne, but I didn't know that. So you were with Montreal and, and somebody before them? So I spent two years with the Manchester Monarchs doing some free agent scouting there. I had known Hubie McDonough from his days with the Islanders, and I coached against Mark Morris when he was at Northwood. So uh, I had a little bit of a relationship with those guys. They knew my role in college hockey and, and we struck a deal to do some free agent scouting. So, so I did that for a couple of years that turned into me wanting up being the free agent NCA scout for the Toronto Maple Leafs for four years. Uh, I was hired by Dave Poole and Dave and I had a relationship because he was the coach at Notre Dame and I had done a ton of their games and Dave and I just hit it off really well. So uh, as a matter of fact, when Dave got let go by Notre Dame, we actually hired him at CSTV to do some games on, on my recommendations. So uh, Dave and I had a good level of trust and a good relationship. So he brought me in there for four years. It was a good four years. Then it took two years off from scouting to just keep more focus on TV and coaching. And then I got hired by Montreal. Uh, Rick Dudley and I had worked together in Toronto. So Rick recommended me to Scott Mellonby. We scouted for Montreal for four years. And then last year I spent one year on a pro consultant deal with Seattle. We were really rooting hard for uh, Dudley to, to, to make his way to Buffalo. I know Dwayne yeah. started the Twitter campaign for him. <laughs> Um, he's a great coach, man, Dave, like this has been really a ton of fun for me. Um, before we let you go, just want to get a couple predictions from you. And, um, before that, for our fans that, um, you know, want to follow you, um, your Twitter is at, uh, it looks like, uh, what is it at D Starman hockey? Yep. Um, and like we, like you mentioned, you could catch him, uh, for CBS sports, uh, for their college hockey coverage. Um, are you, you got any more NHL network for the world juniors? Are you finishing the way here? Are you just doing the American games? I've, I tried to figure out when you were on, but I, I just couldn't fit. I, my brain didn't work. I, yeah, I listen, I hear you. Uh, my brain is mush right now. And I, we've got two more games with the NHL network. We'll do the U S Finland game, which is nine 30 tomorrow night. And then depending on whether or not the U S wins or loses, we'll do the U S game on January 5th, whether or not they're playing for bronze or for gold. And that will do it for NHL network. Every once in a while, I pop on there to do a college hockey report, but this is my main assignment for NHL network. And then it's the CBS sports network through the frozen face-off. And then we'll see what the national tournament brings. I've been with ESPN since 2012 doing the national tournament. And I think with so many things up in the air, hopefully that continues to, I really to move along and, and we'll see. So and um, and Wayne, I have one quick question. Sorry. Um, can I get your prediction or just, you know, analysis coming up, preview for the U.S.-Finland game. Finland, obviously, for those that didn't watch, they were down 2-0 to Sweden. Um, I flipped over accidentally to watch a football game. I turn it back on. I see them tie it up with around eight minutes left, and then they get some really good pressure, Finland does, in the last minute. A nice cycle. They, they played well below the goal line. Um, and let me ask you this. For the people that don't know the Royal Road, it's a, a line straight down the middle. And if, if you look, there was that study done that, like, uh, forget a huge percentage of goals crossed the Royal Road. On that one, it did cross the Royal Road going behind the net. Does that count? Uh -huh. You'd have to ask Steve Valiquet. And I give Steve Valiquet a tremendous – I've become a huge fan of his. He is the one who came up with that Royal Road concept. That first and article so he, was unbelievable from a few He deserves ago. a lot of credit for that research. I, he, to me, has opened up a new way to look at – scoring chances and and the way he has articulated it and supported it he does a lot of credit he's done a, he's done wonders 
for a lot of people who watch the game by presenting that kind of information. Like I said, I'm a big fan of his. And, Real and smart cat. Feel, yeah, I feel lucky. You know, an ex-goalie, feel lucky enough to, to be able to learn from him. And I'm a guy that feels you can learn from anybody. But uh, when, it, when it comes to how this thing shapes up, you know, I don't generally do predictions on games that I'm doing. I do think that USA-Finland games are, to me, as much fun to do as the USA-Canada games, and at times more so. I love the way the Finns play. It's yeah. it's almost a cultural thing. They play so hard. They never give up. They understand how to play this tournament. They know what games to lose and what games to win. They know when to put it in overdrive and when to lay it down so they can get their rest and keep their energy. They have figured this tournament out. Bob Mancini told me this a long time ago from USA Hockey. Keep an eye on the Finns in a slow box. They have figured this out. And every year that proves true. And I love the USA Finland games. I think they are great matchups because it brings out so many different dimensions of hockey. So really, uh, Finland's goalie, uh, Piero Nin, um, if you got to see him much, I, I saw him no. just in that last game. That's it. No, I have not seen much of it. I barely watched that game because I was doing game prep for my game. So uh, shortly after our call concludes, I will be dialing in and diving in on the Finns and we'll be spending probably the next 24 hours getting very, very acquainted with them. I, I, I love it. And again, thank you, Dave, so much. If we can have you on uh, off air for like a minute or two after this too, I have a few questions for you, but uh, also uh, piggybacking off uh, the follow of Dave Starman. Uh, also, if you're looking for a phenomenal rinkside reporter, feel free to follow his wife at Shireen rinkside for CBS sports network. She is an absolute beaut and she just got a follow out of me uh, just because she I, I just did too. Hey, eh? two new follows for Shireen. <laughs> Love to see it. Uh, hey, so I, Dwayne, I got nothing else. Dave, I, I'm sure you might do. So honored to have you on, man. I know some young goalies that I train listen to this show, and that first 20 minutes talking that, that's been really unique. We haven't had a ton of that, and I think it's so important. So before I, I give it to Dwayne for his last questions, thank you for everything uh -huh. you do for the, the position. Thank you for, for what you've done for USA goaltending. And continue, please keep up the great work on air because you make games enjoyable. And, and being a student of the game is something I didn't do early enough in my career. And, and that hurt me as, as a coach. Now that's a big part of what I do. And you make it so much easier for us to learn and, and really love what you do, man. Please keep it up. I appreciate that. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. All right. Uh, wrapping that up, guys, uh, stay tuned. Uh, we'll also be having on Chris Peters from ESPN to talk more uh, season preview and World Juniors as well. Stay tuned for that. But thank you again, Dave, for uh, coming on with us. Really appreciate it. An absolute honor. This has probably been honestly, and I think Kelly will agree, you know, as I far as goalie, goalie, go like a goalie centric episodes go, this has been the best hands down. Absolutely. Dave, you killed well, it. Man. Really appreciate it, bro. Hey, thanks for having me on. Let's do it again sometime soon. Absolutely. This is episode 43 for Dwayne Steinell and Dave Starman and Shireen Rinkside. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, well, here's a word from our sponsors. Tune in for part two of this episode. This podcast is brought to you by Better Biscuit. Better Biscuit is a hockey training tool designed to help you develop your game. These fiberglass reinforced pucks are developed to handle less than perfect services, enabling hockey players of all ages to practice their skills in their driveway, basement, or schoolyard, honing their skills whenever and wherever possible. It comes in two different styles. The Better Biscuit Sniper helps players develop forehand, backhand, one-touch, saucer, drop passing, and shooting, ideal for perfecting those toe drags, puck control, and stick handling. The other option is the Better Biscuit Passer, 
The passer will help you develop softer hands and help you become more accurate with your passes and stick handling. will also help you improve your puck possession confidence for any skill level. Be sure to check out Better Biscuit at betterbiscuit.net for all your hockey training needs. Thanks again for all your support, and be sure to check out Better Biscuit. Now back to the show. everywhere the imagination dares it's for the open-minded the pleasure seeker it's jeff woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality theme-based with special guests blue hotel hotline and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story 
get a room and listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.